Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Web Rush. This is episode 176. And I'm John Papa, along with my co-host, Craig Shoemaker. Craig, what are your favorite sneakers and why? My, my favorite sneakers, I, I have no idea. I mean, the ones that keep me comfortable, I suppose. And, and I feel like I've, I've failed the universe as a person with the last name of Shoemaker, not knowing anything about shoes. Yeah, I feel like I don't know if I've ever actually seen you with anything other than sandals, quite frankly. So... Uh, <laughs> so maybe we should well, when, change when your we've last name. Running, I, I bought those one pair of running shoes that wow. you've probably worn out like seven pairs in the amount of time that I've had mine that are still pretty much brand new. So yeah, that, that is true. Unfortunately, my wife wonders why I spend so much money on running shoes is because they're pretty much dead after a couple of months. But, um, yeah, you know, when you're running away from bears, that's what you need to do get better shoes. So, uh, today's topic, Craig is all about micro front ends and we've talked about this in the past, but it's been a while. It's been over a year, actually, since we had Natalie Vendito on to talk about micro front ends in episode 113. Uh, and as we all know, in the world of tech, tech doesn't move fast at all. So I can't imagine there's anything new to talk about on this topic, you know? I, nothing. Nothing. So nothing new. <laughs> we wanted to make sure we, we readdress this topic a little bit. So we brought on somebody who might know just a little bit about this topic and what might have evolved over the past year or so and, and kind of how maybe get a different perspective on what this topic is. And it's a, actually a really important topic. So we're going to explain the topic. But before we do, I want to welcome our special guest, Josh Thomas. How are you doing, Josh? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today, Josh. And I want to make sure everybody out there knows you as well as we know you. So let me tell you a little bit about Josh Thomas, everybody. Josh is a product manager at Ionic, one of our sponsors of WebRush, working on Ionic portals. He has been a professional developer since 2000, working on various technologies from COBOL all the way to TypeScript. When he was not watching Disney Plus, thank you, Disney Plus, with his wife and daughters, he's most likely thinking about his next obsession, be it sneaker collecting, hi-fi, or mechanical keyboards. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you. And that's why I'm able to answer about sneakers so well, is because I collect. Now, do you collect your sneakers or other people's sneakers? Like, I'm kind of curious how this works. Yeah, mostly just my sneakers. It'd be weird otherwise. So you don't just go like up to random people in the street and go, I like those sneakers. Can I have those? I do tell people that I like their sneakers. And that's, but you don't take that's them kind off of part feet. of the culture. No. No. Because like, that would be really awesome. That'd be a great TikTok. Here's I'm Josh Thomas on TikTok, and I'm going to take that person's sneakers. <laughs> Let's see how this ends up. Have you seen the the Jeff Goldblum special? Is it on Disney Plus where he talks oh, about the oh, sneaker yes. industry? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, that's yeah, really cool. He does a great job, as always. I think always. we're going to have to put a link into that now to the show notes, Craig. So I, I haven't seen that episode yet, but <laughs> I can imagine that. But I'm telling you right now, Josh, there is a there is a secret life for you, a side hustle create a TikTok channel of stealing people's sneakers. Just, it's not if you get them or not, it's what happens along the way. I'll bet you, you go viral. Would would you cover my lawyer fees? Right. Absolutely not. <laughs> I can't really hear you. The audio is cutting out a little bit here. So 
Moving along a little bit, talk about micro front ends. Josh, can you tell us a little bit about what exactly is a micro front end? Because it's a pretty overloaded term. It's so overloaded. And there's so many terms that come along with it. Uh, micro front end, typical applications we think of as monoliths, right? So it's a lot of code, a lot of people working on the same code base. Micro front end is a way of taking that large code base, breaking it down into smaller pieces so that you can allow more people to contribute in a much simpler way. They, they don't have to worry about the large monolith application as a whole, and they can worry about just their smaller piece of it. Let me, let me push back a little bit, because anytime I hear someone saying simpler way. Oh, I, yeah. You know, what does that mean? What's, is it simple for you? Is it, why is it simple for me? I think it's, it's, sim it's simpler um, because typically in large organizations, people are working on feature teams. Right, Feature teams, if you're working on one of those teams, it's very important for you to understand the in and out of the business that you're working with, the business team you're working with, and you need to understand the tech as well. But you don't need to understand and worry about the entire application. There's a probably a piece of that application that you concern yourself with a lot. So whatever we can do to remove the unnecessary pieces of the application so that you can focus on only what is important to you and your team, I think that's what makes it simpler. Okay. And, and what's the benefit of that? Like, I think I can kind of guess at where we're going with this, but I'd like you to kind of just spell it out for folks. What is the benefit or impact of making this simpler in using micro front ends? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons. I think one of the, one of the items that we hear a lot is independence of the teams. So typically when you release an, a mobile application specifically, you're releasing all of your code at once. It's a single release, right? That's not something we're used to on the web because we're used to releasing things whenever we want. Um, with micro front ends, the focus is more about being able to grok a small subset of the application, but also be able to release whenever you feel necessary on your own timelines, rather than having to worry about being part of a big bus shipping out the door every two weeks. Does that help? Yes, it, it does help. But I'm trying to think now of, I've been building, I'm putting myself in someone's shoes, in our audience's shoes. I've been building applications for years, the way I've been building them. And yes, things have evolved and I've learned and I've grown. And my team is deploying apps today. What is the problem that this is solving? Like, I don't feel like I have a, I feel like you're giving me a solution to a problem I don't know if I had or not. So help me fill in, what is the challenge that this is solving for me or for our audience? Absolutely. I would say that if you're not feeling pain right now and you're able to ship as quickly as you want to, it's probably not a technology for you. It's, it's not going to solve a problem for you that you have. But when you're working on a very, very large application with a lot of teams who are contributing to that same application, the complexity is going to continue to go up over time. So are you telling me, if I'm hearing you right, then if I'm having, if I'm not shipping as fast as my team or myself or my company wants me to ship on a large application, maybe microphone ends might be a, a good way to look at it? Exactly. Is it an easy shift? Because now I'm feeling the pressure of, oh my gosh, we've been working on this thing for two years. And there's, you know, a billion lines of code and I've got five gajillion controllers in my application <laughs> components. Sorry. Uh, is this a heavy lift to shift an existing app or is it only for greenfield apps? I think it's for both. 
right? It's probably less likely for greenfield apps because you don't have that level of complexity to start with. It's something that you build over time. For brownfield applications, though, what the approach you would take is piecemealing it, right? You don't want to do a large rewrite of the application at once. It's it's not going to work. Well, maybe I do you, want to, but I maybe probably don't. You, yes, my business true. probably doesn't you want, want me to. to. <laughs> but your business doesn't want you to. Your, your product manager definitely doesn't want you to. And it'll um, be better this time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Why is it better? Because I wrote it. What? That's it right there. <laughs> so you're never going to leave the team ever, right? Exactly. <laughs> hey, John, I have this great idea for a mobile app. I want to use native features like the camera, photo gallery, and geolocation, but I just don't have the time to learn a new language like Swift. Yeah, but you do know JavaScript and web tech like React, Angular, and Vue, right? I do, but how does that help me? Well, if you use the Ionic framework, you can use your JavaScript skills and you get fully styled iOS and Android mobile components. Plus, it uses a capacitor to talk to all the native device platforms. So if I use Ionic and Capacitor, I don't have to learn a new language. My JavaScript skills give me what I need to build a cross-platform app. Absolutely. And you can check it out at ionic.link slash webrush. I'll do it. And Josh, I made the cardinal sin that I, that I often try to avoid here in the show. I made the term Greenfield and actually explain what it is. And then you added on Brownfield. So I did. We're in this together. Would you mind getting me out of this hall and telling people, what do we mean by Greenfield and Brownfield? Absolutely. A Greenfield is an application that is brand new, fresh start. You get to de- design it, choose whatever code you want, choose the framework of choice, it's brand new. Brownfield is most likely that's an application that's been around for a while. It's probably an application that your company depends on um, and could be making you money. So you don't really want to do a large rewrite of a Brownfield application because more than likely when you're working on it, not everyone who started that application is on the team and there's probably dragons down below. There'd be dragons ahead. I like dragons though. Like I read a lot of stories about dragons and sometimes they can be your friends. So what, what do you mean by dragons in your code? Like what, what is that? Sure. Reference? There's probably complexity that you don't understand. No, you don't understand Josh. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. There's always complexity. I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, I'm just I'm just playing with you on this, but I agree. I think when I think about microfriend ends before this concept existed as a term that we hear every day, there was an application I worked on 2013, so nine years ago now, uh, where we built a, a major application with over 100 developers across the company around the world, uh, and it was difficult because we had to deploy the whole thing at once. And I remember the constant discussions in the beginning. While this was agile, we still had to decide in the beginning, was this going to be one big app, a monolith, if you will, mono meaning one large thing, and or was it going to be, we even had some folks saying, it technically could be like 30 different applications. Now, there were pros and cons to both of those. The 30 meant we could be wickedly nimble. However, you just have to start thinking about where are those barriers between those applications and how do you communicate between them? Because there is still a little bit of a cost going between them. Uh, and we ended up landing on something that had three, by the way, so which I thought was a good mix. But this was a an old style Stone Age micro for an end, effectively. But we struggled with one major thing, and I'd like to hear how you solve this and what you recommend. 
When you have micro front ends, you've got to pass information between them because effectively to the user, it looks like one app. The user has no idea that this term exists and they shouldn't. So what kind of challenges are there and what things do our audience need to look for when they're trying to figure out the information that needs to go between these micro front ends? How do you pass it? Uh, what don't you pass? Um, are there alternatives around this? That is a very complex subject. And I would say that it's very dependent on individual scenarios of the application you're working on. Would you like me to give you a scenario? No, I can talk through some of them. Absolutely. Um, give us a couple. Yeah. So if you're in a brownfield application and you're choosing a piece of it to take away and turn into a micro front end, more than likely you're going to keep uh, communication and the state management with that main application, right? Rather than with the micro front end. Um, application as, and state management. So things like who the user who's logged in, maybe your profile and maybe the last screen that you were on. Absolutely. Okay. Information that maybe that specific micro front end doesn't need to have all of it, but only a portion of it. So the main application would be responsible for passing those bits of information down to the micro front end to inform it. Now, it can do that through events. You can do that through holding it on web in a window, an object that sits on window, because in a micro front end, everyone has access to the same uh, browser context. You're all running within the same JavaScript context. You can access the same information that way. Um, if you're starting like you did from scratch and you ended up creating three applications for this, um, more than likely you're able to design it in such a way that you have what you would call like a message bus or a way of communicating between them um, using an architecture that you designed. That, that might be event-based, or it could be that you're all accessing the same global object. But I would like to hear how you approached it within your application. We had a lot of discussions with ours. And, and back then, the applications actually written with Java and PHP in the back end. And at the time, if you think about the existing app, this is a rewrite. We were trying to rewrite the front end, but not the back end. And a lot of the conversations were, well, there is a session store, if you will, on the back end, which manages all the state of what's happening in the app. Because at the time, the application was hitting a server after every page change, um, you know, server-driven applications. And because of that, every time you went to the server, you could go hit that session store, get what you needed, and then paste and paint the page. Now that you're only on the front end, that session store was on the back end. So the question became, how do we... How do we get the front end to constantly talk to that back end without sending massive amounts of data and HTTP going crazy in between them? So that was the real discussion. It wasn't so much what had to be uh, passed between the pages was how do we rethink server-based storage in tools like CouchDB versus doing something client-side in this more uh, browser-centric world? And, and that was the challenge that once we realized that was the challenge to face, uh, what to pass back and forth actually became simpler because most of it didn't need to be passed back and forth anymore, which was fascinating because it was already in the client because you weren't reposting the entire page. When you're thinking about building this, and, and maybe this an the answer for this question is different depending on whether it's greenfield or brownfield, but what are you looking at as far as criteria to say, okay, here's a natural breaking point to say, okay, this is going to be its own thing and that over there is going to be something different? Yeah, so... The approach that I've taken for this has been very much organizational. 
So not necessarily the technical of the application, but more the organizational. So based on the structure of your organization and the teams that you have, there is there a clear separation between the responsibility of one team and the next? And then try to break your application up in ways where it's a more natural fit to your organizational structure, rather than trying to push a technical approach onto something that may not fit. Mm. I think that's fascinating that you say that, because I, I feel like your answer there could actually apply to almost a dozen questions that we talk about <laughs> on the show. Uh, instead of looking for the technical solution, try to figure out what your business solution is actually looking for. Let's be honest. How many of us out there, raise your hand, audience, sometimes default to let's find the best, most creative technical solution. And then we sometimes lose track of, wait, what was the business trying to solve with this? Now, to be honest, I'm the same way, right? I, I want to get in the ins and outs of the technical as well in order to create this beautiful application structure that represents me. Yeah. But it's more than likely that's not what's needed in many use cases. Obviously, there's pros and cons to anything that we do. What would you say are, are some of the major, not maybe not necessarily cons, but it's just like, okay, if you're going to do this, these are, these are things that you really need to be aware of. Yeah, I'd say the biggest con is there's increased complexity in the communication across the teams, as well as to the overarching, like, I'm going to use a, a term here, shell application or the main application that is containing the micro front ends. Um, you've got to understand that it's not free, right? It's not like easy to transition this way. Um, it's it's an investment that you have to make in order to break down a larger monolithic application into micro front ends. Um, but I think that at the cost of complexity initially, uh, once you get past that first hurdle, uh, there's a lot of benefit in order to ship this way, to allow independence of the teams and independence of the business units so that they can push out and release the requirements and the work that they have whenever they want. Gotcha. So John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue, but they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. So how does this apply? Like, I'm curious, you work, you work for Ionic. Which uh, people, I think people on this podcast, we've done a couple episodes on and a lot of folks know what it is. The Ionic framework, you have capacitors, one of your main projects. Uh, we think of mobile generally, we think of Ionic. So how does this play into the difference between the mobile world and the non-mobile web? Yeah, so I would say that in the web, non-mobile web, this is almost a solved problem technically, right? There's 
Single Spa, which is an application, the, uh, uh, a framework that you can use in order to integrate multiple applications into a larger one. There's module federation, which might be a term that you're familiar with, with Webpack 5, which allows you to bring multiple micro front-ends together. Um, but in mobile, in mobile applications specifically, you're still capturing all of your resources together and pushing it to the app store, right? That's that's a step that you have to take on every mobile application that you build. The approach that we're taking to this is the ability to have micro front ends to where you can do releases outside of the typical app store review process. All right. We just hit that cardinal sin again. We talked about the Federation, and I'm sure you're not talking about the Klingons and Star Trek. So <laughs> let's explain to folks, what is module federation? Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was a term that the audience was familiar with or not. Um, I'm sure some folks are. We've talked about it before, but let, let's cover it again. Sure. So module federation is an approach to create more modular design of resources. Uh, so you just you use can... the word modular in the definition. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm, I'm look, quick tangent. When we first, when I first used Docker, I remember having a big problem with the Docker website because the explanation of what Docker was was something like this. So Docker is a containers tool that lets you use containers with Docker so you can have containerized applications. <laughs> I'm just like, what the heck is this? Well, I said I was a developer for 20 years. I mean, it's ingrained in my soul now. Um, so if you're, if you're building a single-page application, right, all of the files come together, and we think of those as modules, right? It could be a CSS file. It could be a JavaScript file. Or it could be, um, yeah, pretty much just those two. Yeah. Uh, and, and modules, in this case, we're talking about files that you can import, whether they're CSS, JavaScript, whatever, exactly. in your application. Right. Gotcha. That's, okay. that's a great point, is that we can think of it as files instead of modules here. And if you're building independent applications, they're, they're made up of many files, many modules. Mm -hmm. But there are cases where you want to expose pieces of your application so that another application can consume them. And that's where a federated model comes in for modules. And federated means that it's not all coming from the same location. Your application that's being built, the modules can come from many different applications. And this is where the term module federation comes from. Gotcha. I really like how you explain that. So going back to the Star Trek theme, it's kind of like, because that's what's on my mind now, of course, uh, if our, our modules could be files that we import in a lot of places, maybe those files are like different planets in the Federation, you know, Earth or Vulcan or Romulan or Cardassian. And for people who don't watch Star Trek, you're all going, what are these words John is spouting off? <laughs> yeah. Can you define all of those, please? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what, what's <You> know? a Vulcan? <laughs> it's not Star Wars. Craig doesn't get it. So, yes, um, I totally respect that. But, yeah, it's basically just different Federation, when you think about that word, it, it's really about taking different groups of things, in this case, modules that you're using. And this is a question, not a statement of, and how you can find the similarities in those and pull them together into some kind of cohesive um, pattern. Is, is that kind of what Model Federation does? It allows you to use multiple things, modules that may otherwise look disparate, but find a, a common way to use them together. Yes, that's a great way to say it. I, I would agree with that. 
All right. I'm, I'm glad I said that because I'll never be able to repeat that again in my life <laughs> in a cohesive but, it's but way. Recorded, the you're fine. That you were making was that this is kind of um, already worked out for the web, but the contrast is that it's it's different from mobile. You, you it sounds like you have to maybe not do it manually, but go through a, a number of, of different steps in order to make that happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why would I bother with mobile with it? And what, what, what makes it difficult on mobile? Well, what I was saying is one of the things that's difficult on mobile is that um, in web, we can have five different applications using module federation, and there's nothing to say that I, can, I can't release my applications whenever I want, right? Because it's not something that's stored on someone's device. It's it's something that's requested real time. So these different applications are stitched together real time. So if I update one, it can update another immediately, right? So in mobile, this isn't possible though, because you're building a collection of a one application that goes through an app store process and gets installed on your phone, right? You're kind of answering my follow-up question on this too. And that's, you made a statement earlier about when your applications are larger, they're brownfield, and they have just, just a lot of code, a lot of communication across the app and across your team, that's a sign that maybe you have this challenge to deploy faster. How many mobile apps, you know, I don't see a lot of mobile apps that are that large, that cross team, that, um, you by the way, would I have be surprised. On but, but you is that would a be common very, thing? It is. It's it's more common than you would think. Candy Crush does that. Is that is that what we're looking at now? Or <laughs> think of Amazon. Yeah, That's more what business my applications, enterprise. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, there's there's more than you would expect. Apple Music takes the same approach, right? Does this also help with the problem that I've seen with some mobile apps? Where remember the time where this isn't gone yet, but there was seemed to be a phase where a lot of large apps, like the Facebook related suite of mobile apps was starting to come out with a new app for different things. Like, you know, obviously they own Facebook, Instagram, Messenger. But I remember when Messenger broke off from Facebook, that to me felt like, ooh, I'm thinking about the technology behind the scenes. Is that because they had too large of an app and they needed to deploy separately? Or is that kind of what you're talking about? It could be they did it for that reason or for marketing purposes. I don't have an answer there, but yes. <laughs> well, let's go down the marketing route too. Like if you're building an app like this, is a micro front end for mobile a good idea if you've got marketing purposes to to do these things too, where they're interconnected, but not necessarily need to be in the same app? Yeah, I think, I mean, you can look at it as where, well, the way Facebook did it, right? Where they have messengers separate, or you could look at it as something like Spotify, right? Where you think of it as a single application, but it's not. It's a lot of smaller applications stitched together, but the user experience for you, it doesn't matter. You're, you're seen as a single experience. right? And I think that that's what's really important here is that the experience needs to feel right from a user perspective, but how we handle that behind the scenes is more as empowering our business. Right. Can you reuse parts of your microphone in from mobile to web? Um, I'll give you an example, too, of let's say I'm building a large entertainment website for <laughs> a theme park that's global. And I already have an existing hotel resort reservation system on a website. But now I want to I don't want to redevelop all those front ends for a mobile app. I want to reuse those in my mobile app some way, obviously, with some responsive design and mobile changes. 
Is that something that micro front ends would help me with, or is that a completely different problem? Or no, that is something that that they would help you with. And one of the most common things that we hear is a checkout process, right? I've got I check a mobile. out every day, dude. Five o'clock, I am done. <laughs> I've checked out. I check out more often than that, but I probably shouldn't say that on a on a podcast. But um, it's not like you're you know you're sponsoring the podcast and your employers are listening, so don't yes, worry about yes, that. They're okay. <laughs> um, so a checkout, right? So. If you look at Amazon, you go to the website, you go to the application, it's the same code, right? It's actually the same code, but it's a really complex process that needs to be owned by a team. And that's that's part of the business is to identify that if I'm updating it in one place, it has to be updated in the other place. There's no option, right? Yeah. So being able to create a micro front end to control that specific use case and that specific uh process is important. I'm interested to find out like in, in your experience, of course, every app is different. Every situation is different, but how far do the tentacles work their way down? Because I think oftentimes we've been working on applications where, okay, I want to change this one thing in the UI. And then all of a sudden the UI changes, the, the business logic changes, the database needs to change. All right. Now that that database is different, that affects this other system in some different way. So how are you mitigating change across the, the boundary lines of different apps when you make these types of changes? That is a great question. And it's hard to have an, uh, like one answer that's going to touch every possible subject here, every, every application that's being built. I think that if you're making the investments um, in how you're separating the app from the initial breaking down of a monolith into a sync into micro front ends. You've already made the choice on those, right? You've already made the decision of how you want to break the app down that making those changes is a natural flow in the process. And maybe I'm not answering that correctly. Maybe um, that's how I understood uh, your question is that you've already, by the time you get in to make those changes and you're already using a micro front end, then you've already compartmentalized yourself. Okay. Or at least you hope you have. You hope you have. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm still stuck on imagining Craig working on an app that's got tentacles hanging off of it. So that, that's an interesting <laughs> visual that you've, you've given everybody, Craig. It, it was one that's for a, a multinational entertainment company that has a, a various number of characters associated with it. With tentacles. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Come on. I thought you were going to nail that one. <laughs> <laughs> could be Finding Dory too. It could be, you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but then we're looking yeah. at pre-Craig Shoemaker era. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, Josh, this has been a lot of fun to talk to you about, and you've definitely given us a different perspective on microphone ends that we hadn't discussed before, especially in the mobile aspect. Uh, and to me, it's more interesting thinking about how mobile and web are similar and what's different. And I appreciate you sharing your, your perspective on that. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was a fun time. We'd like to end our show with a final thought for our audience. And sometimes they're actually good final thoughts. Uh, but today I'll keep my mouth shut. And instead we'll ask our, our members here what the good final thoughts are. Craig, what is your final thought for our audience today on this topic? Every once in a while, my th final thoughts are like, I walk away from them. I'm like, that was a Good thing to say. Like that was maybe not profound, but that was pretty awesome. Today I, I got almost nothing. So I would say 
take care of yourself. Earlier today, I was not feeling well. I took a little nap, felt a whole lot better. Give yourself permission to do things like that. But that actually is fantastic, Greg, just really is fantastic advice. And I heard somebody today, I happened to be in a coaching class today. And one of the things they said was, it's okay to miss a meeting. And, you know, they, they kept on going, yeah, 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 whatever. You don't know my life though. Get out of my life. And <laughs> so I, let me build on your final thought. I think you should absolutely take Craig's advice there. Take care of yourself. And, you know, if you missed a whole day of meetings, a whole day, I mean, think about what it would take for you to do that. Maybe, you know, if you, if you have children or family members or whatever, and somebody gets sick for the day and you have to take care of them or, or help them, or you got to go take care of something important for you. It's you. And you missed all those meetings. Is everything going to end? Like, is, is your job just not going to move forward? Is Ionic not going to recover because Josh didn't take that meeting today at 4 p.m.? Probably everything else is going to be okay. Uh, it, I know things always feel like you can't, but definitely give yourself some grace. Take some time for yourself. Uh, and if it means you're going to recharge and feel better, absolutely do it. And that's the best final thought I think I've heard all year, Craig, is take care of yourself. <laughs> Josh, what's your final thought for our audience? Go watch Turning Red tomorrow night. That's my final thought. Is it a good movie? I haven't seen that one yet. I don't know, but it looks amazing. All I hear is my daughters keep talking about it over and over again. So uh, take care of yourself and then see a good movie tomorrow. Maybe they could do both at the same time. Turning Red, you know, take care of yourself while watching the movie. Uh, And this is uh, the Disney Pixar movie, right? It is. Coming on Disney+. Plus. I feel like we should get Disney Plus as a sponsor all the time. That would be great. Let me know how that that works out. Yeah, I'd love that. I'm pretty sure Disney would just hang up on me, though. But (laughs) hey, and all of you out there, thank you so much for listening to another week of Web Rush. And I want to thank all of our sponsors for keeping us on the air. Ionic, who uh, was a guest and a sponsor today for keeping us on the air. Narwhal, AG Grid, and Idea Blade. Ward Bell's company, who's one of our co-hosts. And thank you to our co-host, Craig Shoemaker for coming today. Glad to be here. And for Josh for being our guest. Thank you. And thank you for all of you for listening to us for yet another week of Web Rush. You'll hear from us every Thursday morning. See you next time. <laughs>